Hey there, guys. Welcome back to the Paraconnection Podcast. You're here with Schuler from PILT Paranormal. And today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. We're going to start that up right off the bat. So it would seem that the vast majority of the team has become sick. It's about that time of the year. It's fall time. You know, the weather's changing. Sinuses are kind of kicking around. So it would seem that the team has come under with a bug. But... That didn't stop us from doing a podcast. I reached out to an old friend and an old investigator of PILT Paranormal, Mr. Jordan Childs. He is on the podcast here with us. Jordan, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. What about yourself? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. I'm glad that you came on to the podcast, Jordan, because not only did you used to be a paranormal investigator with us, but you're also a really good friend and colleague. And it's been a while since you've been on the podcast with us. I think since episode what four or five yeah it's been a while i'm thinking about it yeah it has so jordan just recently the team and i before they got sick we were able to head out to illinois muhammad illinois and meet up with a paranormal author her name is sylvia schultz and she has written quite a few books about her personal experiences and about a lot of history regarding the paranormal in these locations And she's been a historian for quite some time, a lot longer than a paranormal investigator that she shared with us. And we learned quite a lot from her. And we also had the opportunity to sit down and speak with her one-on-one after her speak that she gave when we went out to Illinois to meet up with her and check that out. So it was really cool to sit down with her one-on-one and be able to get some more of the the background information of these stories and kind of learn a lot. And I think... The, the best reason why I chose to bring you on today's podcast is because you investigated Central State Hospital with me, a mental institution. And Sylvia Schultz, she holds a mental institution close to her heart that's in Illinois known as Peoria State Hospital. And I mean, both names are kind of similar, so I kind of find that ironic. But I thought it'd be great to bring you on to kind of collaborate and recap some of the stories that and experiences, if you will, that we have shared and gone through together you know and kind of compare and contrast a little bit with sylvia's stories what do you think about that i'm down with it all right so jordan before we go on with your stories and along with my own that you know kind of correlate with each other let's go ahead and start up the conversation that we had the opportunity to do with sylvia this is the funny part (laughs) we met up with her at a mcdonald's after the speak because the library where she was talking at, she she couldn't talk anymore because the library was closing, which we totally get it. You know, they close at eight. It's weekday. People want to go home. So we didn't have the opportunity to talk in a quiet, tranquil place. So we had to go to the local McDonald's down the street. <laughs> so so for the listeners out there, we apologize for the background noise and for the loudness and for the weird audio that you may hear. But The whole point about this is it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're using. As long as you have that type of connection with somebody, that makes a podcast. So without further ado, Jordan, let's go ahead and start up that audio here and listen to what Sylvia had to say and share with us at that awesome McDonald's. All right, guys. So we're here at McWeasels. I mean, McDonald's with (laughs) Sylvia Schultz. Sylvia, that that is your copyrighted name for McDonald's, right? Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Sylvia, for speaking with us. Absolutely. We just got done with Sylvia's speech that she had. Fractured spirits. Thank you, Nate. Go ahead. (laughs) Fractured spirits with Sylvia Schultz. So, Sylvia, I thought it was fantastic. You had some information that you gave us before and that you gave us some information that we didn't hear at all. So that's why it's always good to kind of get the epilogue of things, I guess. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a bonus feature for DVDs. The bonus feature. (laughs) (laughs) Before we started recording, you were actually sharing some stories with us about Peoria State Mm -hmm. and with the Lindsay, Lizzie Borden house. I can't even say Lindsay. It's Lizzie (laughs) Borden axe murders. So go ahead. Can you please recap a little bit on the stories that you're sharing with us? Oh, sure thing. Well, shall, shall we... We'll do the the quick little thing about Lizzie Borden House, then we'll we'll move on to the Peoria State Hospital, which was one of my favorite places in the world. I did have the opportunity to do an investigation at the Lizzie Borden House, which was just a bunch of fun. It is is quite haunted. Um, I had the experience there of Victorian table tipping. Wow. We sat around, yes. and that was amazing. We had a little uh, little stool sort of thing, a table height, and four of us sat there and put our hands on it, flat on the, on the table, just like this. 
and so just our fingertips and fingers were touching the table and uh, we were asked to close our eyes by the medium hmm. and uh, she? I don't know <laughs> about that <laughs> so she walked us through uh, the, the, and, and sure enough after after a little while we could feel the table wiggling under our fingers and all of a sudden whoop, it just tipped right over and, really? yeah and I, I, I fought the compulsion to peek oh, I, I would have I would have peeked. I couldn't yeah. have it. You're a stronger person but than I. That was fun. But uh, yeah, I did. Sh- um, I talked to a fellow who was doing the tour, a ghost tour in Naperville. And he told me a story that, an experience that he had had at the Lizzie Borden house. And his wife used to do investigations with him and never again. She stopped doing that because of their experiences at Lizzie's house. They stayed the night. I was not privileged to stay the night. I just did an eight-hour investigation there, which rocked. <laughs> and uh, so, but they actually stayed the night, and they stayed in Lizzie's room. Oh, yes. Oh, man, asking for trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the lore is that um, Lizzie will take earrings if you leave them on the dresser or on the bedside table, or if you take a ring off, it won't be there in the morning because she'll take them. And the, this fellow's wife was awakened in the middle of the night by somebody tugging on her ring. Oh, man. And that's, that's why you leave all, all jewelry at home <laughs> when you travel, folks. <laughs> that is not all. She um, got up the next morning and went into the, the clothes press where all the dresses were stored is now a bathroom because it's now a bed and breakfast. Oh. And there was no indoor plumbing except for a water closet and basement at the time the murders happened. So they, when they turned it into a bed and breakfast, obviously you need indoor plumbing for that sort of thing. Uh, so they changed that. They turned that clothes press, that closet, into the bathroom. So she was in the bathroom taking a shower, and this tour guide was still in Lizzie's bedroom. And he heard this shriek from the bathroom, and he went in there to find his wife on the floor of the shower, saying that someone had pushed her. Oh! And she ended up on the floor, and she was like, "Nope, I'm out." And she has not investigated again because of those experiences. That's intense. I don't blame her. Yeah. I don't blame her either. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I would have. I like to think that I would have the intestinal fortitude to continue on after that. <laughs> no, no. But being pushed down. <laughs> being pushed like that—that's yeah. a little much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sylvia, with your investigation, did you get anything as severe like that? Or? Oh heavens, no, no. I, my experience was all very subjective. Um, I, I did lay down on the horsehair sofa and we tried to do, we tried to encourage EVP activity because I, I said, I, I'm lying down on this sofa and, oh, someone's coming towards me with an axe. Who could it possibly be? (laughs) And we listened, but we didn't hear anything. Enter name, no answer. (laughs) Right, right. Um, so... If you do listen to Lights Out, I did do a couple of episodes on my experiences at the Lizzie Borden house, so you can listen to that and find out what I experienced at the Lizzie Borden house. There was The other thing that I did was I went into the room where Mrs. Borden was killed, and I lay down in the exact spot. And I knew that the carpet had been taken up decades, a century ago. Yeah. And uh, but the, the blood still soaked into that wood oh, underneath yeah. the carpet. Wow. And I lay there face down with my face in the carpet. Oh, and I lasted about 45, 50 seconds. And then I said, all right, that, I need to sit up now. <laughs> <laughs> A little on the girl side. <laughs> That's enough. Mm-hmm. Hey, but I went to back you. to it, but... Uh, that, that first experience, I was like, yeah, that, that's enough for now. Yeah. <laughs> right. At least you gave it a shot, though. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that, that's pretty pretty out there to, to make it happen. But that it was, it was <laughs> a very interesting experience, just yeah. putting myself in that in that exact position. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Try to bring out some residual energy if you could. But, that's what I try yeah. to do. I have real empathy for these spirits that are hanging around, especially yeah. at the Peoria State Hospital. Yeah. I have a very soft spot for mental asylums, and the Peoria State Hospital was 
absolutely the best of the best. Yeah. This was this was a jewel in the Peoria area, and in fact, in the entire world. Yeah. We had patients coming from all over the United States. There is a spirit down in the basin of the Pollock Hospital, a man named Christopher, a boy named Christopher. <laughs> uh, and he tells us that the last year he remembers is 1905. 1905. And he grew up on a farm in Indiana. Oh. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I don't know exactly where the farm was. He was unable to tell us that. But I have had some wonderful conversations with him. And another plug for Lights Out, just because there are so many stories that I can't share with you in the time that I have here. Yeah. But um, if you go to Lights Out and you look up The Boy in the Basement and The Boy in the Basement Part 2, that has a lot of our experiences with Chris. I was finally able to go down in the basement of the Pollock Hospital with a psychic medium, and I was able to have, actually have a conversation with Chris. That's awesome. Super hmm. And that was just such an amazing experience for me, yeah. because I have such a connection to this fellow, and now I was able to have a two-way conversation with him, finally, after years. How often so cool. do you sense the spirit of this boy? Like, every uh, time? Or? Not every time. Not every time. The first time I was aware of him, he held my hand. Aww. And wow. I, I was so down in the basement of the Pollock Hospital, and I was I was down there with a group called Peoria Paranormal, and we were standing around in the basement, around a spirit box, having a conversation, and I was holding my recorder in one hand, and my left hand I was just down at my side, and all of a sudden I realized that the fingers of my left hand were starting to get warm. And it never reached as far as my palm that time, that first time. But it got more and more noticeable until it was as if I was holding my fingers to the gently glowing coals of a campfire. It was that oh, warm wow. and that noticeable. So wow. I said to the psychic medium that we had in the group, I said, we come over on this side of the group because there's something going on. And she confirmed for me that someone was holding my hand. We asked the ghost box who it was and we got Christopher. And uh, so that was the beginning of my experiences with Christopher. So that was, and he, he doesn't, I, every time I'm down there by myself, without the help of a psychic medium to translate for me, yeah. I invite him to hold my hand. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Mm -hmm. But there was once, the, the last time I was down there, it was in July a couple years ago, I had a nice long conversation with him, with Diane's help, and I held my hand out and I could feel pressure and tingling and warmth on both sides of my hand, Aww. and I asked Diane and she said, yes, he's holding your hand like that. Wow. So I could feel it on both sides. So That's so cool. That's super interesting. Amazing. Sylvia, where do you think these spirits go to when they don't make contact? I think they are just wandering the grounds. The interesting thing about the Peoria State Hospital is that during its 73 years of op 71 years of operation, um, all of these buildings were repurposed multiple times. And there were, we, we've just recently discovered in going through the records and examining the history of this place, is that one of the things we've discovered recently is that there were temporary buildings that were set up. They were just made of, put up of two by fours in canvas, wherever there was a need for another building. Like if an outbreak of something happened, if there was an outbreak of pellagra or an outbreak of tuberculosis or an outbreak of cholera, yeah. they would put up these canvas buildings for the care of the patients. They would make a little quarantine building and these these buildings would pop up like mushrooms on the hillside oh, wow. and then when they were not needed they were dismantled and saved for the next crisis that came yeah. along. And this was before a lot of the, the medicines that we have today and the antibiotics that we have today. So these crises would happen on a regular basis so these buildings would pop up all over the hillside yeah makes sense right so 
wherever you go on that hilltop, you have the possibility that you're standing where someone passed away. So these spirits are just all around you on the hilltop. You never know. That's really cool. When or where they're going to pop up and say hello. You know, speaking about different locations like that, Sylvia, something I learned from your speak tonight was how the Bowen building has been noticeably the most haunted, at least in lore, <laughs> or that's what people expect. But you actually said that's false, and it's the Pollock Hospital, right? Yes. That's the most haunted on the land. Uh, it's the, the most haunted building that's currently standing on the land. Gotcha. I have been told, now I moved here just um, 20 years ago or so. Um, well, let's see, I've been married for 19 years, so I, I moved here about 24 years ago. Okay. But in the early days after the asylum closed, there were there were 63 buildings on the hilltop, so and, and they started to come down one by one. There was a lot of buildings were lost in the mid 1980s, mm. but I am told by the historian that um, the Zeller Hospital was hands down the most haunted building on the hilltop and wow. she hasn't shared many stories with me about that building yet because mm. we are planning on working on a third book in the series wonderful so i am looking forward to hearing those stories when i can get her to share them with me so sylvia the, uh, what you can share with this this building is knocked down yes but the land still remains yes now do you personally believe that that land in that specific area might be a magnet still Minus the building? I absolutely do believe that. It is less of a magnet now that the building is gone. Okay. We've noticed a very interesting phenomenon about these buildings and what happens when, when they're knocked down. Now, you know that every castle in Europe and every good theater and every good college that has a haunting, they all have a white lady. Mm. Well... We have at least three white ladies on the hilltop, and possibly as many as six. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> One of these white ladies happens to be none other than Sophie Zeller herself. Wow. That's what we are thinking. The wife of Dr. Zeller, right? That's right. Wow. Exactly so. Now, uh, when Dr. Zeller retired, he, he, he was not a poor fellow. I mean, he was very well-to-do. Um, he owned several houses, he owned property, and when he was the superintendent, he lived in the superintendent's cottage on the hilltop. Now, when he retired, the Bowen building was the nurse's dormitory and nurse's classrooms, but on the third floor, there were apartments for doctor's uses and for, patient, or for families of patients who were visiting. They, that's where they were put up, was in the apartments in the Bowen building. Now when Dr. Bowen when Dr. Zeller retired, Mr. Bowen, for whom the Bowen was later named, uh, was the employees building for a very long time, but it was later renamed in honor of Mr. Bowen. Uh, Mr. Bowen came to Dr. Zeller and he said, we'd really like for you to move into one of these apartments and stay on at the asylum even though you have retired. And it took two conversations with Mr. Bowen before Dr. Zeller twigged to what he was asking. And he finally said, now, let me get this straight. You want me to live on campus, on the, the asylum grounds in one of the apartments. And Mr. Bowen said, yes, that's exactly, we, we want you around. We would like you to stay on at the asylum, even though you've retired. And this military man, this man with the backbone of steel who had served in the Spanish-American War, and this big, fierce, mustachioed gentleman, was in tears at the thought that his employees and his patients wanted him to stay on at the asylum. So he and Sophie moved into one of these apartments, and he passed away there in 1938. Sophie mm. predeceased him by about six months. And Sophie Zeller loved that asylum just as much as George did. And here was this building that they were invited to live in. And these people were showing her husband just as much honor and respect as she felt for him. Huh. Sophie and George never had any children. They loved those patients as though they were their children. 
there was a big storm and sometime in the late 19 teens early 1920s and the power to the to the hilltop was knocked out hmm. and Sophie Zeller stood at a stove in the, in the superintendent's cottage making pot after pot after pot of coffee and putting it in his big canteen so that people could that the nurses could carry hot coffee around to all the cottages so the patients would have nice hot coffee Aww. and she stood there and did this for hours on end during this horrible storm that was going on that's fascinating they they george and sophie both loved these patients so much mm. and that is why they are still on the hilltop wow. so getting to the white lady the white lady in the bowen building that had been reported for decades in the hallways of the Bowen building was always seen as somewhat of a of a very commanding presence which fits Sophie Zeller to a T. In fact, some people were so intimidated by her, by this white lady that would appear, that they kind of interpreted her as a threatening presence. And that was the beef I had. <laughs> with ghost hunters because that's what they did i said that and then they ch they edited it to end right there mm. and all i got to say on camera was that some people see the white lady as a threatening presence mm. and they they left out that part about how she might be someone else entirely manipulate your words right yeah. that's why i was so incensed about that but so it might be this housekeeper and it might be Sophie Zeller, because she was a very commanding presence, and she she was she was she stood up straight when she approached people, and that's how this phantasm came across. And the white lady at the Bowen Bowen Building was seen in the hallways, and she was also seen um, on what would have been one of the porches of the Bowen building. She's She was often seen in Pfeiffer Road, in the middle of the road, hmm. up by the Bowen building. Hmm. Now, Pfeiffer Road was put in in the mid-1980s. That didn't even exist when the Bowen was, when the asylum was a going concern. It closed in 1973, and then in the mid-1980s, Pfeiffer Road came through. So where that ghost is standing, one of those white ladies is standing, used to be part of the Bowen building. It used to be one of those balconies. So that's why she's there. You're making me plug in a lot here, Sylvia, because I'm thinking of like all these other alleged haunted roads. Yeah. Maybe it's not a haunted road. Maybe that's where a cabin used to stand or somebody was buried from a tribe or something and now there's a highway. And it's known as a haunted highway, but it wasn't to begin with. That's right. Well, you have me connecting dots here. I'm that's, glad. That's something else. And it all goes back to Peoria. Yeah. <laughs> that wow. is why I'm here. That's why I share this history. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you on that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we thoroughly enjoyed your... Uh... Speaking of it, thank you, nice. thank you so yeah. much. It is my privilege to share this history with people. I have to say, the most fascinating story I think I found from you tonight, Sylvia, was the one about the man that took that blasting cap yeah. from the old coal mines. We call him Mr. Dynamite. Mr. Dynamite. <laughs> that's yeah. our nickname for him, is Mr. Dynamite. Yeah. Yeah, that, that story was just kind of out of this world because I mean that it's so negative and morbid, but at the same time, it really happened. You know, yeah. People do things like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. would you mind elaborating just a little bit on that story? For Absolutely. Our so a little bit of background here. Um, if you've seen the Ghost Hunters episode Prescription for Fear, you look, look it up on YouTube or on the Sci-Fi channel. I know, <laughs> cheesy, cheesy title. We're over here smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the best piece of evidence to come out of that particular episode of Ghost Hunters was the capture they got. Uh, they spent most of their time in the Bowen building, but a couple of the hosts went out to Cemetery 2 where they thought they captured the ghost of a spirit we call Bookbinder. Going from, uh, it appeared that they had the camera pointed towards Bookbinder's grave, but the camera was picking up all the way across Cemetery 2 where the tree line meets, where the cemetery meets, falls away and meets the ravine. There's a tree line there. So this 
capture that they got was a, of a shadow figure that starts at the tree line and moves to the right of the screen and then disappears before it reaches the end of the screen. So they surmised that it was Bookbinder because that was the only ghost that they knew of that was associated with Cemetery 2. So it was unnatural for them to assume that. But the story of Bookbinder is was actually the, the, the ghost story part of Bookbinder's story was actually made up by Dr. Zeller, who was a very fine fiction writer. So he actually made that up. So if it's not Bookbinder, who is it? So in 1910, a patient came to us from Hannah City. His name was Charles Jones. And he was an elderly gentleman in his early 70s. And he realized he was struggling with depression. So he came to the asylum, came to Bartonville from Hannah City, and voluntarily committed himself to the asylum. And he was a very well-spoken gentleman, very, very personable. He would chat with the nurses and um, just made himself, uh, made himself a likable character for the few weeks that he was there. Um, very pleasant gentleman. Um, the thing about the, hill, the hilltop there is that before the asylum was established on the hilltop, what was there beforehand, it was the site of a coal mining operation. And some of these coal mining operation works were still there, um, including some of the equipment that the miners had left behind. And the patients were not locked in. They had free run, run of the hilltop. They were allowed to go wherever they wanted to, as long as they returned to their cottages for meal times and when it was time to go to bed. But other than that, they were allowed free run of the hilltop. There were no gates, there were no locks. So Mr. Jones was doing some exploring on the hilltop and he found one of these coal mining shafts and some of the equipment and he found a blasting cap, which is what you use to set off dynamite. Dynamite won't go off on its own very easily, so you have to have a blasting cap which contains a little bit of mercury fulminate, and that's what causes the explosion that sets off the rest of the dynamite. So these little caps have a tiny bit of mercury fulminate in, in them. So he pocketed this blasting cap, and he decided after he'd been with us for several weeks that his attempts to fight his demons of depression were just not working out. So he went into one of the ravines and he put this blasting cap in his mouth and he either bit down on it or socked himself in the jaw to close his mouth with a sharp blow and that blow set off the mercury fulminant and blew his head off. Wow. Decapitated him just as neatly as a guillotine would have done. They never found any trace of his head. Wow. Oh, wow. So, since he did the deed in one of these ravines, we think that is who Ghost Hunters captured walking in the tree line. Wow. So that's an example of how knowing the history of a site will give you insight into the hauntings of a yeah. site. It can be so important. That, that's your most important tool is the history. Yeah, and it's sad because sometimes you don't have the access to the history, or it's a little too late by the time you find it, and yeah. your claims are a little wishy-washy, but, mm -hmm. but that is so true. You know, when it comes to tools, history is almost everything, along Absolutely. with evidence. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really believe that you can't understand the ghost lore or the ghost stories of a site without knowing the history behind it, because that's what the ghost stories are, are these experiences of the people that used to live there. They're their stories that they're choosing to share with us. Absolutely. I, I couldn't think, agree more on that. So. I think that's what's exciting, of, like at least for me, about like paranormal investigating is because you get to like see firsthand these stories, like if you figure it out who it is, you know, <laughs> you know like if you can get to that point where you figure out who you're talking to and like what they've done, like it's just really cool to see their history and their through their eyes. Mm -hmm. Why why did they tear the buildings down? I've oh. always wondered like it's the same with Central State. Yeah. Why like the states have so much money. Why couldn't they have redeveloped the buildings or rehab the buildings? Mm -hmm. Um make them a museum. Like in Traverse City 
all the buildings were still standing. Mm -hmm. And the main administrative building was completely redone. Back to its original, like, everything. Cool. Um, the other buildings... I'm happy for you. That's I know. And the, and it, but it's like, what, what prompted them to do it? Well... The story of the demise of the Peoria State Hospital is a very painful one. Yeah. Um, in the mid-1960s, we did a big remodel of a lot of the buildings. That was when the Bowen building changed from the nurses' dormitories and nurses' classrooms into the administration building. Yeah. That's when all those big beautiful day rooms that the nurses used to enjoy got cut down into the office cubicles um, and a lot of things were done to bring it up to ADA code like the doorways were widened so wheelchairs, wheelchairs could yeah. get through better so um, in order to do this big remodel we asked the state for money for funds to do that so when we did that the state of Illinois took a good long hard look at the Peoria State Hospital and what they found was that we had the highest rate of reintegration into society of any asylum anywhere. We also were most, the most expensive. Oh, yeah. So the state started cutting funding. So instead of Dr. Zeller's ideal of one nurse for every patient, there became one nurse for every two patients, and then one nurse for every five patients, and then one nurse for every 60 patients and that is when I don't want to say abuse because that's not what happened but that's when um, neglect yeah. started to creep in yeah. and it was not anyone's fault except the state of Illinois it was just that they were so desperately understaffed the other thing that was uh, bad about this cutting back on funding was that um, there was there were not enough staff to keep an eye on the patients and in 1972, there were three incidents, there were three patient deaths. So a board was put together to examine these three patient deaths. Two of them were patient-on-patient -patient violence. And that was because there were not enough staff members to keep an eye on the patients. The third was some poor fellow who was mentally challenged, not mentally ill, but mentally challenged. And he made the decision to wad up a piece of tinfoil like a gum wrapper or something and he worked it into his ear canal and it got infected and it led to meningitis. The other result of this lack of funding was that the Peoria State Hospital could not afford to hire proper doctors. All they could afford to hire was something called limited licensed physicians. And the really ironic thing about this was a lot of these physicians came from the Philippines. They only had enough English to pass their medical boards, so they couldn't communicate effectively with their patients. So this poor fellow could not tell the doctor why his ear was hurting so badly, and he was taken to, I think, St. Joseph's Hospital in Peoria, where he died from meningitis. But a lot of these doctors came from the Philippines because Dr. Zeller had served in the Philippines in 1898, and his name was still so revered in the Philippines that these doctors wanted to come to the Peoria State Hospital because that was where Dr. Zeller worked. But they were ineffective at treating the patients there. And that is the desperate irony of this situation. Yeah. So, the board examined these three patient deaths and they said, we're sorry, we have to close this institution. And I have spoken to nurses who marched on Springfield and said, please don't close our institution. These patients need us. This is their home. Please don't throw them out of their home. But it happened anyway, the asylum closed. And if you're ready for a tearjerker of a story, um, I spoke to the historian of the Peoria State Hospital, and she she would run around these abandoned buildings, just going over every inch of them. So th there were policemen that patrolled the hilltop after the asylum closed, just to make sure nobody was vandalizing the place, which happened on anyway, unfortunately. But um, Christina would go through and and go through these buildings, and she got to know these policemen. 
And one of the policemen told her a story. He was on patrol one evening and he saw someone sitting on the porch of one of the cottages. And he was like, what's going on with this, this woman who's sitting there? And he came a little closer and he kind of unclipped the, the clip on his, on his pistol just to be ready for anything. And he came a little closer and he saw it was an elderly woman sitting on the steps of this cottage. And he came a little closer than that. He noticed that she was not wearing any shoes. And she was sitting on the steps. When the asylum closed, the geriatric patients that were left there were farmed out to nursing homes in Bloomington and Pekin and in Galesburg. Some of them went to the Galesburg Mental Health Center. This woman had been placed in a nursing home in Bloomington, which is an hour and a half drive from Bartonville. Mm -hmm. She walked from Bloomington to Bartonville. Oh, wow. Somewhere along the way, she lost her shoes. But she continued on until she got to the cottage and she was waiting on the steps of the cottage wondering why no one would let her in wow this was her home and she was wondering why no one was letting her in so yeah. so the policeman huh. took care of her and brought her back to the nursing home where she'd been placed there was nothing else he could do mm -hmm. so those are like some of the stories from Central State, because a lot of people were just like, they closed and they were like, you're on your own. Yeah. And then a lot of people ended up in jail. Exactly. That's what, and when so many of so, these state hospitals closed, these patients that needed care in state hospitals in that sort of environment ended up in the prison system. Yeah. So Which that is the opposite to, of helping Right. Yeah. That speaks to our current modern need yeah. for places like state hospitals. Yeah. And that's the reason why I feel like them tearing these buildings down and just ridding of everything is kind of like counter-effective because it's showing what we did wrong back then and what we need to do right now. Mm -hmm. But everyone's just kind of ignoring the whole topic and they're just like, no, we don't need them. Mm -hmm. We got prisons. Mm -hmm. And that's just not it. <laughs> and it's just not, not helpful to someone who's mentally ill to be in a prison yeah. environment. No, it's not. No, when you were telling us the story about that elderly woman, it, it did make me think like Nate with Central State Hospital, and that is what most of, if not everyone from there, had happened to them in 1994. Everyone was pushed out on the street. If they didn't have family or friends, the street was their new home. Well, and a lot of those people are still alive. Yeah, yeah, like, they are. It's not, they don't, they didn't just go away. Like, right. That's what people think. They are still is dealing that just with their gone. Yeah. So, because I have, I have some friends that their family members have been there, and then they couldn't care for them. And it's like, where do they go? Yeah. There's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. There's no facility yeah. that does that. Exactly. And yes, you had is, this facility that was, that was, there were people trained to take care of the mentally ill, yeah. to give them a safe place, to give them a place of refuge, and then that's just gone. Yeah. Yeah, people like Dr. Zeller clearly showed it's possible. He made it possible, but then the state swooped in after he passed and just totally destroyed everything that he worked for. Yeah. And then today's society, you see what we have. It is distressing. Nothing. Yeah. To those of us who care about folks like that, it yeah. is distressing. And if there are, there are private facilities that are thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh gosh, yes. Dollars. Oh, there are still private insane asylums. Yeah. Yes, there are. <laughs> yeah, but you just can't. People can't afford it, yeah. and the family can't afford it, and what do you do? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's it's truly sad. But you know, with you doing speaks like this, Sylvia, I feel like not only is it great for the paranormal community to kind of chime in and enjoy your experiences, but it's discussions like what we're having now. It helps people realize the effects of history and what it leads up to today. You know, and yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm glad you're doing this because along with podcasting. You're going around teaching people things that you can't learn in most systems, like mm -hmm. schooling. Or, yeah. you know, you can go online, but you can get a whole bunch of mumbo-jumbo that might be false. But you're you out here... You really giving... have to look through yeah. a lot of dross to you find know. the truth. So, yeah. yes, it is my a true joy to be able to share that. Not only the history, not only the paranormal, but the importance of 
being aware of the mental health situation in the United States today. Absolutely. Yeah, and I can't thank you enough, and I'm sure the rest of the team, yeah. we can't thank you enough for that. It was yeah. wonderful. And we look forward to more of your speaks, you know. Thank you so very sure. much, and I appreciate being a guest on your podcast, and I had an absolute blast chatting with you all tonight. Like always, you're more than welcome all the time. You know thank that, Sylvia, thank you for being on. We are kind of rolling up on that time, it looks like. Before we go, though, okay. Nate, Kaylee, do you guys have any last-minute questions or throw-ins? No, we're good. Nothing yeah, okay. good. All right. Well, Sylvia, before we plug it off, go ahead, if you don't mind, throw in your outlets where people can reach you if they have further questions or concerns. Absolutely. Fractured Souls, the sequel to Fractured Spirits, just came out recently. You can find both of those books on Amazon. And if you go to sylviaschultz.wordpress.com, you can find the information on all of my paranormal books. You can also find links to Lights Out, my own paranormal podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Sylvia. Absolutely. You know, and I think moving forward, what we should try to do is do interviews like this in person at McDonald's. I think that'd be a pretty cool thing. <laughs> weasels. But, yeah. And now McWeasels. McWeasels. <laughs> and then we can eat right after. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like this thing. We, we can go forward. This is a good plan. It is. Yeah. Thank Corporate you, Corporate sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again, Sylvia. Thank you all. And until next time, stay frost. You bet. All right. Jordan, what do you think about that, man? Was that a pretty cool interview with Sylvia or what? It definitely was, my new. Very interesting facts. You know, the only thing that I wish about this is that we could bring Sylvia on, but she's a little bit busy with her schedule and everything, and I mean, we just got done talking with her not that long ago. So shout out to you, Sylvia, for talking with us and letting us bother you like we have. But I would also like to bring you back on, Jordan, with the team, like I was saying, but also have Sylvia on, too, because... I would like for her to hear your stories one-on-one and you both can kind of compare and contrast with what you feel may be different or similar with Peoria State Hospital and Central State Hospital. Because obviously Central State, from our experiences and the history that we've researched, it's a little more negative and malevolent. But with Sylvia's research and her experiences, it's not so much malevolent. It's more of like confused or lost or, you know, trying to find that connection of love and positivity. So it's a little different, but there are similarities with the experiences we had on the paranormal side. But I thank you for listening to that. And hopefully we can bring you back on with Sylvia and see what she has to say. And same with you. What do you think, Jordan? I'll be more than happy to. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. So Jordan, tell us a little bit about yourself since you've left the team. What type of personal endeavors have you taken out upon. I know, we know it's not paranormal because you've pretty much retired from that field for the time being, right? <laughs> oh, man. The memories still stick with me, though. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, you, you have like a paranormal stain, man. You can't get rid of that spiritual stain. <laughs> Definitely. Spirits are as close to you as family. Heck, spirits are even your family. Jordan, with all this being said and done, has there ever been a time with your your organization that you've gone to a certain location or you've talked to people have you ever felt any odd sensations at some of the places that you go to or felt a spiritual or paranormal connection does anything ever come back to you like back then or as of recently oh as of recently um well my girlfriend's cousin passed away i believe sometime this year and when we used to live at her old apartment we would feel her spirit and my me and my girlfriend we don't live with each other as of now but over at her grandma's house they can still feel her spirit and in all honesty i can feel her spirit sometimes too it's almost as if she's just watching over us i mean there's so much to you know what's been going on and whatnot um I've had my experiences going over her grandma's house and having things move around, noises being made, and the feeling of somebody just watching you. It's a positive energy overall, though, so I'm not really scared. And not to mention the fact that, you know, I've been dealing with the paranormal ever since I was a little kid, so you get adjusted to things after a while. But it's still a scary feeling, like knowing that there's something there because demons can disguise themselves as a good spirit yeah the devil is a trickster 
So you got to be careful. But in a way, we're spiritual as well. Being able to sense an energy that's either comforting or the opposite. So, so I'm gonna trust my instincts and you know just give my give my strength to God, give my trust to God, my faith to God. So good, good, Jordan. And I'm glad that you're still following that path too. And you know that's obviously not left you in any way or form. And you know, I mean, it's sad that there's a family member that was lost, but it's. It's also an intriguing fact, too, that it seems like there's some type of remembrance or there's some type of active intelligence of that family member still being here in the physical world and letting people know that they're okay, you know, and that, that they're still around. And it's stories like that that you're just sharing. Even to this point, you're, you're no longer investigating with the team or really involved with the paranormal, but you're, you're still involved in a way. You're still experiencing these situations these scenarios and it's cool to hear this because you know how to move forward you know how to go forward with this and understand everything on a different level possibly compared to if you didn't join the team and you didn't do what you did or went through what you went through while on the team and you know with stories like this it makes me feel like it's another way to verify that there is life after death and it's just something to continue our understanding and to help us kind of want to dig for more information to see what lies beyond this physical world. There's obviously more than a job. There's obviously more than bills and having a car and eating and sleeping. There's so much more. It's just the world that we live in, whatever the veil is trying to prevent us from seeing through it, it's, they're just trying to blind us it's trying to blind us and there's so much more and that that's just really cool that you share that story jordan absolutely yeah it's still there's still weird things that are going on but i know for a fact that it's 100 percent her wow so jordan along with these experiences can you think back to anything that stood out to you the most at central state hospital i know we've touched the stories of Central State so many different times on other people's podcasts, on our own podcast, but talking about Peoria State Hospital with Sylvia, I just feel like there's a lot more that we could connect with regarding some of the spirits that she encountered compared to the ones that we encountered, where sadly, we didn't really know who or what we were encountering when we were at Central State Hospital. We couldn't find enough documentation like she could. There wasn't enough detailed paperwork stating who was there, when they were there, at least not that we found. At least that wasn't open to the public during the time that we were investigating. But with some of these situations, some of these experiences that Sylvia has, you know, such as seeing these shadow people or having her hand held by a, a small child or, you know, just, just feeling these sensations of appreciation. Can you ever think back to a positive experience for once <laughs> from Central State Hospital where you felt like there was a spirit around us that actually appreciated us being there trying to communicate? Uh, that one time, I forgot we were at, we, we were at the building. Um, there was that spirit that was with us at the time. We saw that um, it was like a white cloud and it was hovering over us and I remember it being so cold so cold and um yeah I just remember that it was me you and it was two more former members of PIOT at the time and we was just we was like I said I forget what room we were in but I just remember like we were all comforted together and we just saw that um you know that white glow whatever it was that was one of the times where i felt we were being protected by something that was in there um i do believe yeah. i remember this story now jordan we were uh we were in the tunnels we were underneath the women's ward building at central state we were down in the tunnels and we went so far down into the tunnels up to the point where on either side of the walls there were these like openings where you could jump up the wall and get into like a little crawl space. 
and the four of us, I do recall the, the investigator, that there, there were four of us that night. And we were held up in one of the little crawl spaces down in the tunnels. And we did see a really pretty obvious white ball mass that was hovering in between the four of us. We were like in a circle. And this mass came literally out of nowhere, not out of the ground, not out of the ceiling, not out of anything but besides the the air, the invisible air right between the four of us, right in the middle of us. And it came out of nowhere and it just hovered. And it kind of floated maybe, what, 20 inches until it, it went away. It went into nothing again. And you're right, it did get super cold. It was really cold. Now granted, it was like late August, you know, it was getting closer into the early fall time, but I mean, it wasn't that cold, it wasn't freezing. But it got freezing down there at that moment of that little weird ball thing. And I do agree with you. It, it felt like the sensation, the emotions that we had was more protective. And as if they, whatever it was, was trying to let us know it's okay, we're safe, we're not alone. And there's nothing to worry about. It was definitely confident and I felt at ease. Is there anything else that you can think of while being down there in the tunnels during that specific situation, Jordan? Or can you think of another story? Um, that's actually the only thing I can think of at this moment. Yeah, because going back to it, I hate to say this. But it seemed like we had more negative encounters at Central State Hospital than we did positive. It, it seemed like there were a lot of angry, malicious spirits, whether they were human, whether they were demonic. That part we can't really clarify. That part we can't really prove. But one thing that I think we both can agree on is whatever it was down there, it was most definitely a very negative force, for sure. Would you agree, Mr. Childs? <laughs> oh, you have never lied. What was, I'm trying to think here, Jordan, is there a story you can think of that you have not shared yet regarding Central State? Being that we're on the topic of, you know, mental institutions and malicious entities, what about that one incident that we had down the tunnels um, underneath the women's ward? I can't recall if we've talked about this one or not, but it, it was a pretty interesting night. It was where we were in the rec room underneath the women's ward. And we were in the basement. The rec room takes place in the basement. And we were being pelted with, like, pennies and other little weird objects. And then we finally started getting hit with double-A batteries. And one of the batteries that I believe I got hit with was an old corroded battery. And when I picked up this old battery, you could tell that it's been down there for at least five years. You know, it's got battery acid on it. It's got age to it. And uh, I pick it up. And it's old. You can tell it, it obviously shouldn't be used and it, it, it holds no charge. But when I picked it up, it was super, super hot. I mean, you pick that thing up and it felt like you put it in the oven. Like at 425 degrees. I threw that thing down. It burned. Yeah, that night, it, it's... I'll never forget that night like most nights, obviously. <laughs> Central State is such a, such a life changer. But yeah, I had... Uh, you pick up the battery. I had, we had two other investigators with us. Typically, we had four people. And um, one of the other investigators picked up the battery. I believe both of them did. And they both threw it down as well. It was hot to the touch. I just don't understand how an old corroded battery like that, especially with battery acid caked all around it, could be super hot like it's been in the oven. It doesn't make sense. Mm -mm. That does not make sense at all. Just a random hot battery compared to room temperature ones it you is. can tell something touched that something supernatural I mean there was no one else down there with us there were no other people no animals I don't understand where it could have came from or how it could have got hot <laughs> nothing works in Central State nothing did nothing does I mean it's I mean sadly the place has been you know demolished now but nothing worked no electricity no steam no water nothing but, uh, yeah, that, that story really stands out to me, this child, I have to say. What would you say would be your most memorable story and experience while working with PILT? It doesn't have to be a central state, Mr. Childs, but what would be that exact experience that just 
that changed your mind that really made you open your eyes to the paranormal world truthfully i don't think there was a situation because i already you know knew that they're supernatural beings at a young age um you know back in 99 or 2000 i had seen them two apparitions sitting outside of my window you know i knew they weren't human and even at a young age you know kids are very sensitive to things so seeing that i just knew something was completely off so but you know seeing that seeing that firsthand and you know dealing with what i did in regards to piot I mean, that opened my eyes, you know, as well, if not enhanced it. I mean, I already believed in, you know, spirits, demons, but actually coming up close with it numerous amount of times as we did, it's, it's, it's just wild. It leaves you in disbelief. And it definitely comes to show, you know, that there are things out there in which we can't understand until we're, we are in the afterlife ourselves. So, um... Exactly. It's a crazy world full of mysteries. That's all I gotta say. But there'll be—I mean, there'll be answers in the end. So we're in between. You know, we live to learn, learn to live. Well, I couldn't agree more with you on that, Mr. Child. That's good advice to live by. You know, and that's what it's about. You know, going day by day, taking each lesson, each opportunity as something to build on and try to understand furthermore in the physical and the spiritual world. And it's just, like you said, it's wild, but it is what it is. That's just part of what this whole thing of existence is. And for you to have experienced the paranormal before even joining a paranormal team or even understanding or knowing what it was, that just kind of, to me, it kind of waters it down as as if that was a doorway for you to what you're going to do in your later life as an adult, you know, and obviously you joined the paranormal team and you did what you did for several years and it put you on a level of understanding and you know experiencing i think to a whole nother whole nother type of degree but you know now you've taken yourself from the paranormal team and gone on to your own thing but you're gonna be able to take everything that you've learned and experienced and kind of plug that into everyday life now and whether or not that helps you personally or it helps other people that you come in contact with, I think everything that we've done has been an opportunity, Jordan, to be honest with you. Even the, the very scary and evil <laughs> experiences I think that we've had, it's, it's all kind of come down to an opportunity for us to grow, for sure. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. So, Jordan, I hate to say this, man, but it kind of seems like we're rolling up on the end of our podcast here. I would like to start off by thanking you very much for coming back on to speak with us. And, and sadly, you know, with the team being sick and everything, you know, you couldn't talk with everybody and, and, you know, get up to date with everyone. But hopefully we can make up a date where, like I said, we can get the whole team back on the podcast. We can get Sylvia Schultz on and get you on and just talk a whole nother section of mental institutions and you know experiences even if it's replay of the same stories i think it'd be great to have the different angles coming from you and sylvia because she's heard some of my stories and there's some that she hasn't heard but i think it'd be great for all of us to kind of have like a a round table discussion and just kind of mash them all together and get different ideas you know what do you think about that hey i'm down with it all right well jordan I can't thank you enough for coming back onto the podcast with me and sharing some of your stories again and giving some insight, you know, from what you've experienced and what you're doing in today's world. You know, I, I can't thank you enough for coming back on and talking because it's always good to mash it up with the old war, buddy. <laughs> Definitely, especially with all we've been through together. It is not a lie, Jordan. All right. Well, for everyone listening out there, if you guys would like to comment leave us a message, get on the podcast, give us a suggestion, anything of the such, you know what to do. Go to Google, type in PILT Paranormal, you'll find our Facebook, our Instagram, our podcast, our website, all that good stuff, all of our outlets are out there, and uh, obviously our email, PILTParanormal at gmail.com, you can find that on all of our outlets as well. So we're pretty easy to reach no matter what, no matter where. 
And uh, we're looking forward to speaking with you guys and get you on as a guest, whether it's on the podcast or investigating. We do it all. So you're more than welcome. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. Jordan, you got anything else? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Well, without any further ado, we'd like to thank you all for listening. And until next time, stay tuned. And of course, stay frosty.